Do you guys know it's Peter's birthday? Wow. What? And it's my daughter Helen's birthday. <laughs> Anybody else want to claim today as, as the day? Anyway, happy birthday, you guys. Um, anyway, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to you all to Hiawatha Church. Um, we are right now approaching, kind of approaching the end of a series in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, one of the 27 letter, or books of the New Testament. It's one of the three pastoral epistles we've been saying, or, le- or letters, uh, which are the three letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to two of these kind of younger protege pastor types that he was um, seeking to encourage and equip in the gospel for their role as pastors uh, in Ephesus and Crete, respectively. Uh, Timothy has remained behind in Ephesus to pastor the church there after the gospel kind of went through and all these people converted and they were kind of assembled into a church and so forth. So anyway, um, remember, the Bible takes the church very seriously. Uh, it it's, um, acknowledges converts, uh, I would say, and of course values, values that um, in many ways. Uh, but it, more than that, it values the church. It values um, ongoing conversion, ongoing growth in the gospel, in the context of community with other believers and so forth. And so you expect then that the, that the letters of the New Testament would be um, chock full of instruction on these types of matters. That's exactly what we have in 1 Timothy. We've learned a lot so far, if you've been here, really brief summary, but this is a book uh, then about pastors, how to identify them and call them into the role. Uh, it's, it's who's qualified for the role, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's a book about the church. It's a book about life in the church. Uh, it's a book about good preaching and teaching, about um, how some Christians start well but don't finish well. Uh, the importance of grace in our theology has been a predominant theme um, going back to chapter 1. It's about how to behave in the church from chapter 3. It's about how to rightly assemble together and to gather on Sundays and throughout the week. Uh, how to call out extremely ascetic religious lifestyles in the church is demonic. Uh, it, it's about gender similarity and dissimilarity and how uh, the complementarity between the two help tell a story, God's story ultimately, how that takes shape uh, in gatherings and different things. And today we're going to see um, how it's a book about caring for the helpless in the church, for the widow um, particularly. Uh, some of you might be aware the Bible looks at widowhood and fatherlessness in a particular light in both Testaments, Old and New, as types of people God cares for. Um, and so I'm just going to say that right off the bat, even though I know it might be kind of clear to most of you um, this passage has a lot of instruction in it, but don't miss, don't bury the lead. Don't miss the obvious thing that God really, really, really cares for us uh, in this. And the, the window into that truth is God caring for widows, but it's broader than that. It's, it's all of us, and I'll help us to connect some of those dots a little bit later on. Uh, and there's a reason for all of this, and so we'll come to that. But for now, let me, uh, let's just read. We're in chapter 5 today, 1 to 16. If you want to turn on a Bible, you have or a phone app. This will all be on screen here, though, as well. So 16 verses, the first half, essentially, of chapter 5. So kind of mid-argument, but Paul's instructing Timothy again, kind of picking up, and he's saying here in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without approach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for 
members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their houses, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Okay, so clear as mud, right? It's actually a pretty confusing passage uh, in 1 Timothy's standards anyway, uh, but a couple of sides that may help a little bit uh, start to grant some clarity. Uh, my goal is to try to clarify a lot of this, not I just don't have time for all of it, and some of it just kind of remains a little unclear, to be honest. Uh, but through that, help us to see how Jesus brings ultimate clarity to it and to get us to theology in the end uh, rather than simply instruction. Okay, but let's just start with this simple aside. Um, I think it's helpful, so details aside for a second from the 30,000-foot view, just to kind of take in the fact that Paul clearly, repeatedly in this letter, understands the church's family. So it's already come up more than once, but it's blatant here. The church is a relational entity. It's a family gathered underneath the fatherly love of God with brothers and sisters present who relate to each other, who love one another, who give to each other, and who do life together, all adopted by grace. And so it follows that in verses 1 and 2 um, that we'd have this talk about respectful and loving treatment of church members by pastors in family-centered terms. And of course, we know the New Testament is chock full of instructions and commands on how Christians are to love one another. Jesus himself puts this, I think, at the top of the ethical pyramid of Christian life. That is loving the church. Um, and so keep that in mind as we, as we go forward here, um, at least instructionally, the first half of this, this thing. Um, the second aside would be to say um, widowhood in 1 Timothy is a layered and contextual idea in, in the, I'll say in the first century, which is partly why it's kind of confusing. Uh, Christians have historically disagreed on some of the goals and motives behind Paul's teaching here, but one thing we see that will kind of set some of this up is that he has different types of widow situations in mind, right? He has a widow who has children and grandchildren, a widow who doesn't have children or grandchildren, younger widows would be a third category, and then kind of amongst the younger widows, some kind of read into this section, it seems like Paul might be saying that some of the younger widows were involved in contentious and divisive activities or even false teaching, which would be kind of a fourth category as well, if, if true, um, which again adds a layer there. But in the end, in light of all the differences, Paul is writing to Timothy and instructing him on how to pastor them, how to care for them, how to give to them, how to support them, in some cases, how to raise them up for ministry uh, in the church, which we'll, we'll come to. All right, so just to kind of spin, uh, spin off that a bit, uh, this first section is 1 Timothy 5 on an instructional uh, level. And one thing I should say, too, is that widows in the first century were, were in a much more hopeless and dire spot than they usually are today. Um, and you kind of get this sense, too, in, in, when you read this letter, like, 
are there like a lot of widows? Because there's so many kinds. Like is Timothy up to his eyeballs and widows? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it just seems like there's so many. And in some churches, there just aren't as many, right? Like depends on demographic or how big the church is. There might only be a couple of widows or in, in the church. Um, you know, but whatever the case is for a church, and I'll just say for Hiawatha, like whatever the case is now, there always will be widows, right? People die. Husbands die. Um, there will be husbandless situations or divorcees, husbands and wives who are divorced, and um, that are kind of similar, right? Um, and so with all that said then, there aren't, won't always be like this one-to-one correlation for us when we read this passage. If you, and I, that might go without saying, but please hear that because not everybody will even have a widow in their life, right? Some of this has to do with family. Um, some will, you might all at some point. But there's, there's still instruction here for us in principle. And then I'd say again, going deeper, I said this before, going deeper, theology, which we'll come back to in a minute that will eventually, I think, apply to you all and mean a little bit more to us. All right, but with all that said, let's start, though, on the instructional level with this first thing that Paul's pretty clear about in a couple of places in the, in the section, which is family, physical family, should care for widows first before the church steps in. Verse 4 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then he goes on to use these even stronger words. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a really strong language. But that that would be to say, that last piece I think would be to say, um, kind of like John does in some of his letters elsewhere in the New Testament. First John says things like, uh, broader here, not just with, with widows and family, but broader. If we don't have love for other Christians as Christians, it might bring into question as to how much we've been truly impacted by the gospel, which is the message of God loving us at the greatest of cost to himself, losing his one and only beloved son in the process, right? Um, or as Jesus says, I think a bit more directly, Jesus says about the, this woman he meets, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. Remember that? The correlation there between knowing how much you're forgiven by God of your sin is directly correlated to how much love and strength maybe you could say you have to spend in order to love other people, even your enemies, even people that are unlovable. All right, so direct correlation. And I think, so whether it be Jesus or John, I think this is another, Paul says this too in different, um, with different language. This is a version of it though. Uh, there's a correlation there. And, and so now in one sense, none of us do this perfectly. We need to acknowledge this or maybe even that well at all. Uh, And so we need to be careful here. Uh, As Paul says elsewhere in this letter, we're saved by the grace of God, one-way love, not by our works or even like how well we respond uh, to the gospel. And and yet at the same time, a hardened heart that doesn't spill out the fruit of being wrecked and remade by grace might be a symptom of a greater problem, which would be a lack of faith. Um, And yet I'll say this, just to close out this one part here, uh, I would say there is more grace here than we realize in our brokenness and that is that someone else achieves the ideal of this idea, not us. Uh, more on that in, in just a minute. Okay, that's the first thing. The thing is, there's a broader principle uh, in play, which uh, would be it's okay for a church not to be burdened by literally everything. Um, this, this maybe means a lot more to some of you in the room than others. And that's okay. Uh, me as a pastor, I'm like, oh my gosh. 
Uh, thank you, Jesus. That's great. <laughs> it's just like as a leader, it's like this is really, really helpful philosophically, and I'll get to that. But verse 16, uh, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So you see what he's doing? He's looking at like this big group of widows. Let's just say it's a big group, and he's differentiating. He's saying some can get care elsewhere, um, and some can't. So the ones that can't, and they're among you, they call your church home, and they're brothers, they're sisters of yours in the faith uh, look especially to them in or, in, as you think about giving money to them, as you think about um, praying for them, visiting them. So there might be like more than just money here, although money is a part of it, um, because they need a provision. Uh, but giving to them in whatever way, think about them uh, especially, but don't be burdened by those who aren't truly widows in the sense that they're not truly alone because they have uh, kids or, or grandkids. Um, I'd say like to, to widen out here a little bit more, I would say it's not the local church's job then to provide physical care in every way for every single person in the church, um, or even in a greater geographical context. Um, so we would say here, it's not the church's job primarily to be involved with every single social or humanitarian cause or issue in their respective cities, because other organizations might be better at it, to be honest, you know, and um, other people might be more involved on an individual level, whether they're a part of your church or just outside. It might be easier just to farm that out, so, uh, to use a phrase, right? Just, just let someone else do it because they do it a lot better than us. And we, as a church, we do some of that here on a physical level. Caring for people that might knock on our door who are homeless, we do provide physical care, but we also provide resources to people who do it way better than us because we simply can't uh, give them what they need on a physical level. It's just impossible. Uh, for us, all right? So, but basically then what the Bible, this is just the, the fact of the matter is the Bible says about a good thing, because we would, I'm guessing if we'd all in the room agree uh, that it's good to care for widows. It says about a good thing, let the church not be burdened by it. Uh, care for widows, but let the church not be centered on it at the same time. So care about it, but don't care too much or care about it, but don't center it. Don't, don't let it be all that you do. Um, th- there are other things that are even more important, like caring for the church spiritually, preaching the gospel, reaching the lost. Keep that in mind, too, as we go forward. But man, that is such good pastoral advice. Some of you might be wanting to start a church someday. Uh, please hear this. If you're a pastor in the room, I know you know this because we've been doing this for 15 years. We, uh, I started the church 15 years ago with a uh, a team of people from our church, we decided this. We're like, we had to think about it, right? Like, what do we want to be doing? Uh, what's our main thing? How do, uh, wor- you know, words and works fit together? Are we, how, what do we want to be known for primarily in this neighborhood and amongst each other? And uh, we kind of came down uh, to, to this uh, issue and, and it had to talk it through. But that is such good pastoral advice that's so why I think Paul is partly saying this, is there are things you can't do and that's okay, um, so focus. Uh, actually, it sounds a lot like Jesus too. Uh, if you think about lots of things he said, but when Jesus you know, fed people with bread um, and then he'd like turn the page and say, actually, you don't need bread, you need meat. Like thinking of John 5 and 6 where he fed the, f- fed the 5,000 with one loaf of bread and some fish and then he turned the page and you're like, he's talking about his own body as bread and like you need me more right you need to drink my blood in order to be saved and people like heard that and they were super offended and they left but basically if we came people that came to jesus and they were looking for physical stuff only like physical healings only and physical bread only at some point we're disappointed because jesus put himself over the physical need 
And it was precisely that issue that turned many people away. Not all, but today that happens as well. It happened in Jesus' day, happens today um, when people realize that Christians care about physical things, but they care about something more than physical things. They care about Jesus more. They care about the gospel more. They care about conversions of dead souls more than uh, the giving of uh, physical money or bread or things uh, to, to people. That's just the reality. Uh, and it's true, and we need to hear it, and churches need to hear it. If churches only do the former, they turn into a humanitarian group that isn't really Christian. They're just doing good things, but they're not saving people from hell and doing what the Bible's actually prescribing, which is to focus. Do some good things, don't, but not other things, but even those things that you do that are good, don't make that the center. That's basically what this is saying through the lens of uh, widowhood. All right, then, then he, more on that later. More, then he says, let widows be enrolled. I think by enrolled, uh, he means, a lot of people think this, uh, so when I say I think, it's just contentious, so people, some people don't think this, but some people think, and I think, that he means to empower them for ministry as deacons. Other people think that this section has to do with the enrollment of widows onto a list of people who would be given money uh, by the church, which it's possible that's all he means, but it seems problematic to me to require a level of moral uprightness that's very precise to, in order to get money from the church. That seems uh, opposite uh, to one-way grace. Um, but uh, possible that's maybe a mix of this, we, we just uh, don't totally know. But it seems more likely that he means, uh, let some widows, if they're qualified, be deacons. Uh, identify them for ministry roles in the church. And I think that's true here because if you look at this language, about certain widows being enrolled, it sounds a lot like chapter 3 when Paul talked about, talked about certain qualifications for people being pastors or qualifications for people being deacons. Uh, here he's talking about deaconship again, it seems, um, for certain widows. The concern then for younger widows wanting to marry is likely akin to wanting marriage over Jesus, not a preclusion for, for remarriage. In fact, a couple verses later, he encourages remarriage for younger widows. Um, but again, the, it may be akin to how Paul says pastors should not be new converts. Like when he says, Get younger, don't, let, don't enroll younger widows might be akin to Paul saying, don't let younger men serve as pastors because of the temptation to pride. It sounds very similar, right? Um, so younger widows marry, he says, and wait, and maybe be involved in different kinds of ministry um, in a, on a family level or whatever. Uh, in the church, but, uh, but don't enroll them for, for, for deaconship. Um, it's also possible in this church setting that younger widows were the spiritually immature group as well, which adds another layer to this. Again, it's a very complicated passage, so um, it, that's why it's hard to kind of pin down, but we kind of do our best to piece it together and figure what exactly Paul's saying to a very specific historical city and context in this letter. Uh, but whatever your view is uh, here, again, this, this letter has to do with Timothy's job as a pastor, knowing which widows to enroll into deaconship if they're qualified for it on a spiritual level, on a moral level. Um, in the spirit of the pastor's job being equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I put that verse up here because it's a different letter, but same author. Um, a pastor's job is to help other people do the work of the ministry, not to do it all himself. So, and this goes beyond widows, obviously, right? But to help all people in the church, if they're Christians, if they call it home, to, to ask that question and to answer the question, what is my place? Like, how can I help make the bride of Christ more pure and spotless? Um, widows can and should 
uh, ask that question too. I think it's pretty cool how precise, maybe oddly specific, but uh, precise the Bible gets with that one uh, spot that some people will be in in life. Okay, so again, don't bury the lead though. Whatever your perspective, uh, see that Paul loves his churches. God loves the church. Uh, But Paul cares deeply for his churches that they would care for the widow and the helpless inside their church, physically and spiritually, um, and that all types of people would be equipped for ministry, single and married, 20 years old and 80 years old. And again, I love that 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 is the spirit of, of the idea here, is that whatever your age, whatever your lot in life, whether you're lonely or not, whether you have kids or not, married or not, uh, whoever you are, if you're a Christian, if you're part of the local body, a brother or a sister in the faith, um, that part of a pastor's job is to help that person think, whether it's loud or quiet, big or small, formal or informal, to think about how to encourage and serve and build up the bride of Christ, which is the church. Okay, now switching gears, uh, that's the one side of this is to look at first and on an instructional level. I think there's another angle here, though, uh, and that is to look at it on a spiritual level and ask the question, why? Just why is this here at all? Um, maybe you ask the question, why widows, or the question of why not widowers, or the question, why is this so long in the letter when you have seemingly more important things said in shorter sections? Like, like why is this taking up so much uh, ink, you know, or, uh, or place here? In the, in, in the book. Those are all great questions. But the, the next question is to ask, though, uh, why? It's also to ask the question, um, what else is being suggested or said? There's always more than meets the eye uh, when it comes to the scriptures, um, and especially with a letter like this that's very contextual, um, that we can't always apply in a one-to-one way. We just can't, um, in, in part, but not really in full for, for all of us uh, equally. All right, so this is the greater question I'd say. I'm just going to work through a couple of big things. The first is the most obvious, um, and it is motivational, or I hope it is. If you're a Christian, this should matter. It says, it is pleasing in the sight of God. Verse 4, when widows, when helpless people are loved by their family who are Christian or by their greater church, it is pleasing in the sight of God uh, because he loves those people. And he loves when his kids get along. I know I mention this a lot from up here as a parent, but like when my kids get along and play together and love each other, make each other laugh, there's just something special that happens in that moment when it just warms your heart. And you're like, I just love seeing this. When the opposite happens, it's not as fun. <laughs> it's not as fun to watch that or to listen to. But when they love each other, and um, it's just really, really cool to see. So, um, but that's the same with God. God's a father. We're his kids. When we get along, it, it, uh, it pleases him and makes him happy. So, um, we might also add with this kind of a subset, but we might say because the Bible says it. And so we, if we believe this is God's word, we, we just do it. Um, or we might just say it's the right thing to do. But I, I think the passage, though, offers more than, than this. And if, if you go deeper, I think you start to see it in verse 5. Let me read this again. It describes a widow and says, She who is all alone has set her hope on God. She who is all alone set her hope on God. She continues night and day in supplications and prayers. The verse continues, but, um, but I like this first kind of descriptor. She was all alone, may feel like she has nowhere else to go, and she has fully set her hope on, on God. All right, but you look at that definition, though, and you might think, at least like I did this week, uh, of course, all Christians, widow or not, married or not, have done this and do this, right? We set our hope 
fully on God, fully on the fact that the tomb is empty, not on our works, not in our performance, not in our circumstances, not in our marriages, not in our friendships, not in our jobs, not on pandemics ending, none of that. Fully, we have set our hope fully on the fact that God loves us through Jesus Christ and he's alive, that death is a defeated enemy. That's what we do, right? So um, the fact that widows do this then is just a subset. And when you understand that as a subset, I think that starts to give us a part of our answer as to why this takes up so much room in the letter, maybe more so, why the Bible speaks to caring for widows so prevalently. And that is this. When we ask the question, who is a widow biblically truly? The answer biblically is we all are. All of us. Male or female, married or not. We've all been left alone spiritually in our sin. Uh, This would fit here with with how the Bible talks about all of us as spiritually poor, no matter how much money we have. The richest among us in the room right now and the poorest among us in the room right now are all equally spiritually poor. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, It it would fit with how the Bible says we are spiritually blind, even though most of us can physically see with our eyes. Or how we're spiritually at the core fatherless, even though many of our dads are still alive. Uh, the, the list goes on. We could, I mean, seriously, talk about this for an hour. The, the list goes on and on and on. Jesus is very clear about this in his teaching, in, in his pre-cross ministry, as well as like in the letters, for example, in the book of Revelation. He talks about the churches uh, in these spiritual terms as well. Um, the list is almost endless. Cassiodorus, uh, in the 6th century, a very early Christian, wrote on this as well, actually in commentary, on 1 Timothy 5, which is why I mention it today. Uh, but he said, The church is called a widow because she is bereft of worldly protection and has placed her hope in her heavenly bridegroom alone, who has transformed her air into uprightness, her cruelty into devotion, and her frailty into total constancy. So the, the, the theology in this idea then is that uh, we are, or, or churches would be places and communities that care physically for the widows among them, but as they're doing that, they preach that God cares for spiritual widows, all of us, through the death and resurrection of his son, the true bridegroom of our soul, the true pastor of our souls. In fact, I think that's actually another way you could read verse 16, which again says, don't burden the church and care for those who are truly widows, not kind of widows, but truly widows. Uh, don't burden the church. But I think, in, so in verse 16, he's clearly talking physically in one sense, right? He's saying amongst the widows, you know, differentiate um, and focus your, your ministry efforts. But you could also look at this spiritually and say that basically, you could also look at it kind of from a philosophy of ministry perspective and say, let not the church be so focused on physically ministering to people that it loses its focus on spiritually ministering to people. Um, and that would be to say, uh, Care for those who are truly widows, and those who are truly widows are all of us in our sin. Um, So one way, again, one way to see this would be to understand it physically, another is spiritually or philosophically, to say that a church can lose its way. Um, A church can be so focused on um, physical ministry that it loses its, to to quote Jesus, its lampstand. Our, our, Our light goes out as a church once we lose the gospel. Our light goes out once we deem ourselves volunteerists or humanitarians alone or simply people who are good people, who do good things for our city, that's just not how Christians should think or talk. It's just clearly not biblical. 
Uh, I'm not talking about this passage alone. It's just not the witness of the scriptures. Uh, certainly not the voice of our true shepherd calling out. If we ever hear that voice, you should say, it's not Jesus. Um, that's not my true shepherd. I know my true shepherd's voice. It's not him. My true shepherd has said, what's more important than feeding people with bread is feeding people with Jesus. And so the church does both, but emphasizes the latter over the former. And so to go back to our question, this is why it's, it's here, spiritually speaking. It's here for the sake of physical instruction and for order in the church and that those who are very needy would be cared for, um, but not just that. It's also here because widows are pict- physical widows are pictures of, of you and me. Uh, it, it's not because God is showing partiality that we have this instruction, but because widows are all a picture of, of all of us in our sin. In fact, to twist the diamond in the light here a little bit more, uh, if we understand Paul, remember this from like week one, I think it was, or week two, if you were here for that, if we understand Paul to be a God figure in this letter and Timothy to be a Jesus figure as kind of Paul's son, as he calls him in 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy to be a Jesus figure, uh, as we've already stated in the series and believe the Bible to be teaching, then this, section, th- this whole thing changes. The way, the way we hear God's voice call out to us in this letter changes. Not in a contradictory way, but a complementary one. Because then the section becomes not just Paul giving pastoral instruction to a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and maybe it doesn't maintain a lot of re- relevance for all of us, but instead, it becomes a glimpse of God the Father talking to his son about you and me. So, again, if you see yourself as the widow and not just someone else who is a physical widow, then you'll kind of put yourself in the place of Timothy or uh, at least praying for your pastors who are the first recipients of this instruction, right? But if you see yourself as the widow, then Timothy becomes the Jesus figure and Paul becomes God the Father, saying things like this, God to Jesus, care for my widows, those who all, all are alone in their sin. Don't burden them. I'm pulling from other language in this letter. Don't burden them, don't rebuke them, but encourage them uh, by laying your life down for them. Uh, Jesus talks in these terms in Matthew 11, as many of you know, um, as well. The gospel, um, as a bit of a side point here, but if, you know, if, again, if you read it this way, 1 Timothy 5 is saying the gospel is not a burden. Um, it's one thing for Paul not to want the church in Ephesus to be burdened in a physical way. It's another thing to say God doesn't want us to be burdened by rules. You know, the gospel is a fresh drink of water. It's not something we should wake up every day and feel like, wow, it's so hard to be a Christian. There might be days of that, but predominantly, 99 out of 100 days, it should be like, it's actually easy. It is light to be a Christian. It's a joy. I don't have to, you know, do something to make God happy. Grace is one-way love, not two-way. You know, it should, it, should, it should rarely be considered a burden because of what Jesus said here. Look at what he's saying. We're not making this up. Uh, so, again, to kind of like flip the way we hear and, and apply the voice of God to the different characters in this letter changes everything, right? The gospel's not a burden. It's a cold drink of water to, to parched weary sinners like you and me. Uh, but one thing, it's many things, but one thing it's not is a burden. It's not heavy rules. It's Christ who worked for you and me uh, to save us from our sins. 
All right, the rabbit hole goes even deeper. One more stop on the rabbit hole. I'm mixing my metaphors. Diamonds, rabbit holes, whatever. Um, the rabbit hole goes deeper. When we realize that that's actually how Jesus cares for us spiritual widows is kind of by becoming one himself. So even though Jesus was not like a widow per se, uh, he was a lot like one. Um, he became fatherless on the cross, cut off from his father. Uh, he was unmarried. He was, quote, left alone by everybody, right? That's a, a, a very widow phrase, is left alone. Well, Jesus was left alone in every, in every sense of the word, um, by all of his closest friends, by everybody. Um, and he did that, that we, widows in our sin, might be brought in, that we might be, quote, enrolled uh, into his family, washed, included, remarried to, Jesus, uh, to Christ, our bridegroom, spiritually speaking, and, and saved forever. Um, if you didn't know this, the Bible is all about substitution. Paul, so the Bible uses a lot of like, language, talk about what happened on the cross, but substitution is the primary thing. Uh, Jesus became what we were. He became human, but he became a sinner on the cross, like Leah prayed, uh, I believe, after welcoming. He became our sin. He became um, the darkness that we were. He took on the negative sides of passages like this, so we might take on the positive side. Um, you could say he was uncared for on the cross and left for dead, that we might care for widows, uh, but be cared for ourselves, but then care for the physical widows among us. Uh, enrolled, unenrolled here, but um, and and dying outside the city. Remember that theme? Dying outside the city. Uh, man, all these themes of like where he died and where he, where he was, who wasn't there. Um, all these themes carry with it just this notion that he died apart from God. He died as an exile. He died as a cast out one, completely and utterly rejected. That you might not be. He died for you and me. Not primarily as an example to follow. He died with nail-pierced hands, keeping his scars forever, mind you. So we'd always remember that it's his scars and the works of his hands that save, not the works of yours. All right, so to kind of wrap this up, um, there are two lenses, and this is a little bit of a teaching moment, but more importantly, hear the gospel in this. Um, when you guys read the Bible, sections like this especially, uh, there's a couple of angles to see, and they're not on equal footing. Uh, the first is the lesser side, which is still very important. Sometimes the, the more obvious side is the, is the lesser side. The most obvious, clear side is not the thing that God wants us to fully, mostly see, which is fascinating, weird, but it, that's true a lot uh, in the Bible. And that, and that is this, care for the widow. But, but again, most of us in the room uh, won't be able to really do that today, you know? Like, you don't know any widows. You don't know who are widows here. You don't have any widows in your life. And so, now, are you leaving this, are you leaving the building today, like, disobedient to God's word? No, because you don't know any, you know? And so there's, like, kind of, like, this general call for pastors to be mindful of this idea and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and so forth. Don't get me wrong. It's very important. Care for the widow, the helpless in the church. Love Christ's bride. It pleases him. All right? But here's what's true for all of you. We also have the second thing, something more important to understand, and that is you are the widow. You see how that changes everything? To see that there are widows out there, that's important. God loves them, and we should love them. But all of a sudden, the mirror flips. We're like, whoa, 
I am that person. I am the one that needs to be cared. I'm the one that needs to be loved. I'm the one who can't buy myself my next meal. I'm the one who is almost dead. I'm the one who is left alone and lonely. And, right? In that sense, which the Bible paints all this in, in, in our terms, right? Elsewhere. In that sense, we, we hear it differently. And the grace then for you guys and for me in this is, if you're saved, if you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins as spiritual widows, um, that, that we're members now of Christ's household. We were his enemies, but now we're his son. We're like Mephibosheth. Remember that guy in the Old Testament? It's a random thing. Uh, but David's enemy, the, the, uh, is it the grandson of Saul? The grandson of his arch enemy? He says, who else in the kingdom can I show kindness to? And this one guy says, well, there's one guy, but he's like the worst guy ever, and he's like the grandson of your hated, 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 hated enemy, Saul. And David's like, get that guy. Bring him into my town. I, I want him to be adopted into my family, and I want to show him kindness. That story is there for the sake of Jesus. Not primarily that you would see yourself as the David, but primarily that you'd see yourself as the Mephibosheth, the cripple, the cast-out one, the widow-like figure in his own right, who had no help, no way to work, no way to walk to David's house. He had to be carried and lifted there. Just like you can't walk to God. You're too crippled like, like I am. We need someone to lift us to him. Jesus has nail-pierced hands. It's by grace you're saved, not by works. It's by grace you're saved, not by being a good person. It's by grace you stay in. It's by grace you are lifted up and not burdened. God doesn't want the church to be burdened, you guys. He doesn't want to be burdened with heavy rules, even though there's things we talk about, instructions we have. Principally, we are saved by the blood of Jesus, and we are lifted from the burden of not being able to keep God's laws. And in the wake of that, the destruction of the old covenant system, we have Jesus' body alone, standing there, both on the cross, but also glorified out of the empty tomb, saying, I love you. And... Believe in me and you'll be saved. Come home with me and let's eat. All right, so with that, uh, let, me, let me pray. We'll close with one last song here. But God, thank you so much um, for this passage. It's a really confusing one in a lot of ways. Uh, but help us in our endeavor to be a more loving community. We do pray for that. Um, all the more, though, help us to hear your voice, uh, God, call out to your son about all of us. Uh, help us to see ourselves in the passive role here as well, not just the active one, but the passive one what has happened, what is happening through your active love for us every day through the Holy Spirit and your future love uh, as well. As um, you say yourself, Jesus, in John 10, that no one can snatch you out of, out of your hand. Uh, we're in your hands. You've, you've held us. No one can snatch, can snatch us out. Praise God uh, for that. Uh, but we pray for our church. We pray for our city. We pray for those, God, here who are widows. We pray for those who are lonely, husbandless, um, fatherless, a divorcee, uh, men too, who are divorced and lonely. We pray, God, for them, especially that they would, see, they would set their hope fully on you um, and truly have a home here at this church or wherever, wherever church they're from. Um, but again, God, thank you that that's really all of our story, um, no matter who we are, what we are. So thank you for making us unlonely through your son, cleansing us from our sin and, and making us new and enrolling us into your family. In Christ we pray, amen.